James 2, 14. Help me, Holy Spirit. What does it profit? I'm going to talk about the potency of faith. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, somebody say by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. Well, you do well. Listen to the sarcasm. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together? Somebody say working together. With his works and by works faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Father, thank you for the reading of the word. Pastoral instruction, uh, the office of preaching, the way that we do it, produces a spiritual construct in the hearers that takes a lot of time. Somebody say a lot of time. It takes a lot to steer the ship of your life and to get people on board with God's agenda because in order for people to go from where they are to where God is calling them to be, it takes the renewal of the mind and it takes a process of transformation. Somebody say transformation. Now, the problem with the process of transformation is that God has a very small window in which he gets to impact how you think and how you believe. Because for most of us, our ideas, the things that we hold sacred, our sacred cows, most of us believe those things and we're not willing to change how we think and how we believe. And so it's in a moment like this when we have a captive audience that God then gets to interject something into your ideology that has the power or the ability to change what you already think and what you already believe. See, we're in church probably for a couple of hours if you come to one campus and one service on Sunday. Maybe you come to midweek service, but you have to think that the rest of the week you're thinking just your own thoughts. You're thinking what your mother taught you, what your father taught you, what your grandmother taught you, what your grandfather taught you. And the reality is, is that although these people in our lives have done the very best that they could do, when it comes to what God is speaking over us, a lot of their ideas failed to meet the criteria. So it doesn't have the power to bring transformation to our lives. This is why you can't just be on your phone when I'm preaching a message like this because I'm not reading the scripture. So you have no reason to be looking down. So if your neighbor's looking down, tell them I said look up because we're preaching. Somebody say amen. But see, that's the point. See, it takes a lot to get people to understand the value of the moment of the word of God being preached so that they can reach the place of transformation. 
The calling upon the preacher is significant because it's the calling that the Lord himself instituted out when he walked the earth in order to establish the creator's eternal truths in the hearts of the people. He chose preaching. Somebody say preaching. And he transitioned those who would receive him from the dead letter of the law that was written upon the stone tablets that were given to Moses. He transitioned them from that to a law that he would then etch upon their heart. Somebody say, write it on my heart. God is a spirit and the true faith that he has given us is only revealed to those who are born again by his spirit. The external religious code can never ever convert the polluted heart or the sin-sick soul. It is by faith that one believes in Christ unto righteousness, and as a result of that belief will experience an authentic induction into the realm of life. Romans 10:13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? You can't believe him if you're not listening during the sermon. And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how, that, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But the travesty is that although entry into the realm of faith is simple, the scripture declares that there is a dilemma that has to be confronted. Verse 16 of that same text says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out into all of their earth and their words to the ends of the earth. The dilemma then is that people hear the gospel preach prophet, but they refuse to believe. They are willing to get emotionally stirred, but they do not obey. So God uses the foolishness of preaching because it is antithetical to the inherent human pride that thinks that it can obtain God's righteousness void of the cross and his grace. Religion is mankind's attempt, y'all see I'm sticking to the notes, attempt to become busy with the appearance of godliness so that it can mask the lack of authentic conversion in their hearts. So people become religious. Somebody say religious. Because you can be busy being religious and doing religious stuff and create a persona that looks righteous in order to hide the real defilement of your heart and your spirit. We cannot tell that you are a liar when you're always on your post serving as an usher because all we see is your smile. So you get real busy being religious, but the reality is, is that you're a smiling usher ushering liar. It's not easy for us to see that you are full of cursing and bitterness and hatred and alcoholism and fornication and adultery when you are always on task during the church service. We see you lifting up your hands in worship. We see tears rolling down your eyes, but it is religious service uh, because you're masking the fact that your heart is impure and that you are unclean. 
I know y'all not going to like it. It is the form of godliness that denies or prohibits the effectual working of the power of God. You suppress God's power because you are obstinate. You suppress his ability to really deliver you because you are cold hearted, because you are hard headed, because you are stone faced. We are dealing with a generation of people in church and I got to present it like this because some of y'all are in here and I think we, I want y'all to get it together because I'm tired of having to preach it. The reason why I have to keep preaching it is because God is releasing an appeal of mercy to you. You're hearing a word that he is expecting is going to hit you like a hammer right upside your head to shift you out of the place that you're in into a place where his mercy can can be revealed but the problem is is that people hear the gospel and they are not willing to obey they hear the gospel and they are not willing to believe it is a travesty it is catastrophic to sit under the real word of God and go straight to hell it is catastrophic to hear the word it's a simple faith it's real simple it's real simple to believe it it's hard to see the reality that all you gotta do is believe enough to let God come in. All he needs is a little window. All he needs is a little opening. All he needs is a little surrender and he will come in and transform your whole entire life. But just like the apostle presented in the text, there are people that have heard the sound. The sound of the preacher has gone out all across the world. There is no place where there is not a preached word but the problem is that word is going over the people who have closed their hearts to the reality of God's truth we need y'all to get out the way I know I know God is merciful I know that he is full of grace I know that he is full of love and if it wasn't for the grace of God where would I be but it's time for us to go on to maturity we are sick and tired of having to preach over and over and over to the people that if you just don't want to believe just move out the way if you just don't want to surrender just move out of the way if you don't want to live for God move out of the way Joel 2, take your seat, says, and tear your heart, not merely your garments, not merely what your costume looks like. Oh, God, help me in here, please, Jesus Christ. Oh. Rend your heart, not your garments. You all dressed up, looking like something, but inside you ain't nothing but a whitewashed sepulcher full of dead man's bones. There's no life on the inside of you. That's why we could be in the middle of a visitation of God and you putting on lipstick and chapstick and you worried about what you're going to drink and what you're going to eat because there's no light or life in you. He said, rend your heart, not merely your garments, back to the notes. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in mercy and relenting of catastrophe. By the time God blows up your life, do you know how many times he's knocked on the door of your heart? 
by the time the bottom gets snatched up from under you, do you recognize the disposition that you have had to put a merciful God in to bring that kind of catastrophe? He desires mercy over judgment. Even though his holiness demands judgment, his mercy overrides it. By the time he's got to blow you up, that means that you have caused the cup of iniquity to be filled and he's got to pour out wrath. This is a call for people to come into the faith and to repent. No excuse. No excuse. You can't use somebody else's failure as an excuse for you busting hell wide open. Because God will deliver them and let you go straight to hell. You can't say, but they're doing it. So I'm going to do it. Because you don't know the goodness and the severity of God. They may be on a deathbed and cry out, God, what must I really do to be saved? And he might come in and save them. You might wind up crashing in a car accident without space to repent. You don't know whether or not this is your last time. You don't know. Whether or not this is your last opportunity before he turns you over to a reprobate mind. Lakia, there are reprobates in the house. Their conscience is seared with a hot iron. They can hear the word, but they can't hear it. They can hear the gospel, but they can't hear it. They can hear the word of the Lord, but they can't perceive it. He said, Isaiah, I want you to prophesy to these people so that seeing they can't see and hearing they can't hear. You got to come out of the religious performance. I got to get back to the notes. So you know that it's not who you really are. The older I get in God, the less mess I'm willing to take off of people. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a combination of Becoming more spiritual and less worldly, more heavenly and less earthly. I don't know if it's because I'm close to 50 now. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. But the deeper I get in this, the less I'm willing to take off of you. My discernment doesn't let me have time for your folly. I'm not talking as a pastor. I'm talking as a Christian. Huh? When you see people that are obstinate, it becomes repulsive after a while. It it's like, how long are you going to be that nasty? How long are you going to be that dirty and filthy in your heart? How long are you going to be that wicked? You find yourself separating yourself. Let me get back here. You find yourself getting separate from the wickedness. God is inviting us into a real experience of intimacy and oneness with him. But the problem is that you are too content just getting riled up and happy. Wait a minute. Let me wait. I got to go back because I got I to gotta set up that point. You got to come out of the religious performance because you know it's not who you really are. Isn't that amazing, Elder Warren, how masterful people come, become at playing the role? It takes more energy 
to put on a persona in a facade than it does to be the authentic you. People, they play Christian. They play saint. Y'all know it. Y'all in here. Witches in the church. Playing spirit filled. Shouting around the church. Knowing you go into an altar of witchcraft doing your prayer. Trying to get blessings over your business and blessings over your family and, and doing incantations to find protection because you don't really believe in the power of God. You ain't nothing but a witch. Stop shouting when we shout. Stop falling out when we fall out. Just If you're going to be a witch, come dressed up like a witch. Just come look like a witch because maybe God will save the real version of you. If you show up as you really are and stop thinking the funk. You're not a Christian. You a whoremonger. I'm not going to ask you how many people you slept with in the last 30 days, but yet you in here trying to lift up hands like they're holy. Check your list. How, many, how much damage did you do in the last 30 days? See, there's no condemnation. You can make up your mind to repent. But see, the word is coming like this, elder evangelist, because they don't want to repent. So now God has to come and sit right in your lap. He's got to tell you, you ain't nothing but a dirty hoe. So at least when you walk in truth, you might be able to find deliverance. Because until he exposes what you're really all about, you're going to keep faking the funk. No, this is not the hour to fake the funk. This is the hour for real repentance and deliverance. I had to get delivered from being a hoe, so now you got to get delivered from being a hoe. That's how I can know where the hoes go. It is the hour of real salvation because salvation has come to your house. Salvation is knocking on your door. Salvation is riding in your car. Salvation is hitting you upside of the head. But you're so rebellious that you don't recognize it. Beloved, your days are numbered. You better start counting your days like Abraham said. Lord, teach me to number my days that I might regain my strength. Some of your strength is about to run out and you don't even know. Repent. 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 You got to come out. Take your seats. I'm almost there. You got to come out of the religious performance because you know it's not who you really are. Stop playing church. Stop playing games. And stop playing with yourself. Because once you had the real deal, everybody knows that the real thing is better. Once you done played with yourself and you done had the real thing, you will come to the conclusion that the real thing is what? See, the problem with the church is that you're still playing with yourself.
and that's why you're the only one happy. You're the only one excited. You're the only one getting a thrill. And the rest of us dealing with the cleanup of the mess. But in a real experience of intimacy, where the Father is calling us into, it's not about you playing with yourself now. It's about a real intimate experience that's going to reproduce something in you that's going to help God get glory out of your life. Stop playing with yourself and step into the real bedchambers of intimacy with the Holy One of Israel. to the notes in every presentation oh I know y'all don't like it but it's alright I gotta preach where you at to help you come where you need to be see people don't want intimacy with God they don't want the real thing and it's impossible for God to be just without giving all of us the opportunity to enter in so everybody that is not entered in has had the opportunity to enter in, but they've chosen not to. And the reality is, Pastor, they don't want the responsibility of what entering in is really going to cost. And so the problem, this, and it, it becomes this dilemma because now we got to pastor people that are unwilling. How can I take you somewhere that you're not willing to go? You ain't nothing but a stumbling block after a while. If you're a toddler and I'm trying to get you to walk, you're going to trip a few times. But that's a part of the toddler's experience. But if you still need training shoes, you know them hard shoes from Oshkosh Bagash? Some of y'all too young, y'all don't even know. But Oshkosh Bagash used to create them hard shoes that we used to learn how to walk in. If you're 35 and you still got Oshkosh Bagash on, there's a problem. You shouldn't be stumbling over your own feet at 35. You still tripping over the same stuff. There's a difference between a trip, a fall, and a lay down. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing. If this is foolishness to you, then you already know you're damned to destruction. It's only foolishness. I'm in the Bible. I didn't, I didn't author that. Let me read it again. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You got to already be headed for destruction for this not to make sense. But to those of us who are being saved, the very same message is the power of God. That's why there's two extremes in the house. There are some of y'all about to jump out of your seat because you're like, you are preaching. I'm not even a hoe and you're preaching. But there's other people wondering what time to put on the baked chicken. Because the same message in the same atmosphere is either foolishness or power depending on your destination. I can't get help. 
you better switch your destination because if all you're thinking about is what you're going to eat, let me, let me prophesy to you. Your GPS is headed for destruction. It's time to shift. He said this. He said, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise and where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching or the message preached to save those who what? Who believe. The foolishness of preaching the gospel determines the entire trajectory of your life. See, either you are going to apply simple faith to what you're hearing preached or you're going to harden your heart. There's no in-between. You're either accepting it or you're rejecting it. You're either allowing it to prick you or you're putting up resistance. It's the foolishness of preaching. But if you can be humble enough to receive the foolishness of preaching, you can be saved. Watch it. Listen. He says, for the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. This is why the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Because the message of the cross is not just the historical context of the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified. But the message of the cross includes the fact that you're called to be on the cross. Oh, I don't even want to take an assessment of how many believers in here are actually on the cross. How many of you are crucified with Christ, or is it all about you? <laughs> huh? How many of you have laid down your life, or are you still working your plan and your agenda trying to get God to agree? Oh, God, it's so quiet over here on this side of the church. Let me go back to the other side. At least they know where they're at. How many of us are crucified with, I'm talking about where you wake up and it's not my will, but your will be done. Because if you're not crucified with him, you ain't saved. I just, I, there's no other way to follow him. You're not, well, the word Christian means follower of Christ. And he said, if any man comes after me, that means following him, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and then you can follow. It's two things you can do before you can even walk in his step. So if you haven't denied yourself, now come on, come on, let's keep, let's, come on, let's take it where it really is. Because you would say, just like these people that say they have faith with no works, you would say, but only God can judge my heart. But it's not, that's not true. Because if you have really denied yourself, we can see that you denied yourself. There's some fruit to the fact that you have denied yourself. If you've taken up your cross to follow him, there's some evidence that you are actually on the cross. So you cannot fake the funk in this era. Come on. We got too much technology in the earth for you to be able to lie to us and deceive us now. We can tell the difference between your Snapchat filter and how you really look. You got to take the filter off in church because we can see through your little dots and the little blush and the rouge 
that the filter puts on your face, we can see the cracks. We can see the crevices. We can see where your salvation is not lining up with your confession. And we have the responsibility to judge with righteous judgment. And we judge that you're a bad tree. That's why you're producing bad fruit. But if you cry out to God in repentance, he will deliver. He will save. He will shift it. He will realign you. He will turn you around. In Christology and soteriology, the study of Christ and the study of salvation, what has been provided for, I think I'm about 20 minutes in, give me a few. What has been provided for in the atonement, you got to know this so that you can understand what salvation is all about. Because we have made salvation about religious exercise and external appearances. And we don't got time for that. Come on, y'all. We don't have time for it. Tell your neighbors, say, we don't have time for it. It's not about how long your dress is. It's not about no makeup and no jewelry. It's not about you never can shave. I went to a church that was so saved, you couldn't even shave. The women, the women had beards. They did. They did. And they had sideburns that connected to the beards because they couldn't shave. They had hair coming out the stockings. They couldn't shave their legs. They couldn't dye their hair. They couldn't, we come on, and some of them was lying because they were 70 with black hair. We knew they was lying. But we made by dogma, not truth, dogma, we made salvation about the external experience. Come on, y'all. We thought you were super saved when your dress was uh, sweeping the floor. Not realizing that you could hitch that thing up on your hips, couldn't you? We made it about the external when God is focusing on the heart. He focuses on the heart. He focuses on the heart. So what is this doing to the people that are wrestling with this word right now? He's working on your heart. Because you think you have us deceived. But you can't be worried about whether or not we can see. You can't be worried about what we know. You got to worry about what he sees and what he said don't fear man that can only kill the body he said fear God that can destroy both the soul and the body in hell's fire see we stop believing I'm winding down I know where I'm at we stop believing in hell what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his. I fail you as a pastor if I don't preach truth. Huh? I fail you as a shepherd 
If I see you headed for destruction and I don't sound an alarm, could you imagine? Imagine with me right now that pulpits all across this nation and around the world right now at the same exact time that there are people that are sitting under pastors who will never preach the truth to those people. Yet you pay for pastor's anniversary and you pay for pastor's birthday. And you pay for love offering and you pay into this and you sow into this and that pastor don't love you enough to tell you to come out of your sin. I'll tell you I'm imperfect. Does that make it better to receive the word now? I don't have tolerance for the devil. Sometimes I look out on the audience and I can see demons in your faces. I, do, I don't, I just, I don't, I don't have it anymore. Can, can I, can I be honest? Can I, conf- I don't have it. So whether you're going to have church hurt or not, I don't know what you're going to call it, but you're probably about to get it. Because I, I don't, I don't have it to give you anymore. When your soul is hanging in the balance. I'll laugh with you, but you can't dishonor me. Because my family has gone through hell for us to be able to stand here and give you this word. She ain't preaching it, but she went through the hell and had to live through it and is living through it with me in order to be here and give you this. So no, I'm not going to let you disrespect me. I will rebuke you publicly and openly. So text your little circle now and warn them. He on one and he going to stay on it. Yeah, I will, I will preach. The Bible says to rebuke them openly. For what? So that others may what? Does the Bible say fear? Oh, but y'all call that control and abuse. I call it tough love. Bishop Moses will rebuke the snot out of us and keep preaching. And keep preaching. Keep preaching. And, and would not flinch. Had this one lady during convocation. We're in the middle of the praise break. Here she come running down to the front. He said, and I don't mean for those of you that got to come down front and put on a show. He said, if you don't have victory where you're at, you ain't going to have it where you're going. Go right back to your seat. Because if you can't praise him there, we don't need to see you trying to praise him up here. And you know what I found was really funny? When she got back to the sea, all of a sudden, she lost her praise. You know that song, I never lost my praise. She can't sing it because she lost it. So were you praising or performing? You can't lead us into worship if you don't worship. I'll rebuke you. Y'all know it. I don't got to call no names out. I've done it here. Your hand's not up when other people are leading. Well, guess what? You don't get to lead. Oh, that's simple. Because that means you're not a worshiper. You're a performer. What we get in salvation, I'm winding down. What was provided for in the atonement so that you could understand why this is such a great salvation. The forgiveness of sin and the ability to repent was provided for us in the atonement. That's powerful. Rethink what grace is. Grace is not permission to keep sinning and saying, I'm sorry. Y'all, if you believe that, you're already deceived. That's not grace. 
Grace is after you have done all of your dirt that God is merciful enough to extend you an opportunity to repent and he will wash it away like you never did it so that now you can go live a free life. What does grace look like when Jesus was on the floor writing with his finger and they were about to stone the adulterer and he said to her, guess what? Where are your accusers? Let them who are without sin cast the first stone. Everybody started to walk away. He looked up and said to her, where are your accusers? They're all gone. He said, neither do I accuse you. He said, but watch this. Go and sin no more unless a worse thing comes upon you. That was grace. Now you can get out free. But if you go back into it, something's going to happen that's far worse than they were about to, she was about to die. He says something worse than this will happen if you do it again. That's grace. Grace is you murdered somebody and they got all the evidence and all the facts, but you don't have the death sentence or a life sentence. They let you go out of the court. Now you can't go kill somebody else. Somebody say grace. grace. It's provided for in the atonement that we get to repent. We get to repent. Think about that. Out of all the stuff you've done, you get to come to God and he washes it away like you never, ever, ever did it. What's provided for in the atonement? Healing. Your body can be healed. It's a part of the atonement. Deliverance. Prosperity. I'm not going to get through the end of this. Peace. The restoration of our closeness with God and entry into his presence. I really got to stop. Ah. Everybody's seeing from me. I'll just wrap it up. It's past my time. Play something, please. Some kind of something. I'll have to save the rest of that for Wednesday. Now, don't laugh at me if I pick up right from where I was Wednesday. So y'all going to have to remember the whole first part. God is calling us into repentance. If you can hear his voice, he's calling us out of a dead faith. He's calling us out of religious bondage. Do you know that when you're really saved, there's freedom and liberty? When you are really delivered, there's freedom and liberty. Do you know how good it feels to not be bound by a compulsion to commit sin? Will you wake up and you can sense his presence and you can literally enter in without wrath or doubt? See, once, you, once you've lost that and you regain it, you like, you like, I ain't losing that. You're like, I'm not. Mm. It's not even worth it to lose this because it takes so many years to get back if he even lets you get back. See, this is what hurts my heart because I know some of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. Yet you here every week. Been here for years and you have no clue. Because you're still bound. But you're only bound because you choose to be. 
God is calling us to authentic salvation. He's calling us to deliverance. He's calling us to conversion. He's calling us to transformation. There's no condemnation to those who are, oh, that means you got to come out of yourself to be in him. Who walk not after the flesh, but, oh, oh, see, quote the whole thing. You, you just can't say there's no condemnation. There's condemnation if you're in the flesh. Oh, yes, there is. What's condemnation? That's a judgment. The word to be condemned means to be judged. It means the sentence of judgment has been passed on you. So if you live according to the flesh, guess what, beloved? You're already judged. You're already condemned. Let's come out of the judgment into deliverance, into healing, into salvation. Someone would say, well, how do I begin? One, you got to make up your mind to be really saved. You got you to gotta really make up your mind to give your life to God. then you got to change your life. You got to change your circle. You got to change your friends. Some of y'all are in here and you got to change your friends. You got to change your friends. You got people that you come to church with who are the biggest detriment to your saved life. You going to hell because of people you sitting next to in God's house. It's not worth it. What does it profit a man? It's not worth it. I feel the Lord pleading. I'm done. We've all been there. We've played church. We've played the game. We've been inauthentic. We've been disingenuous. We've all been there. But the days are short. And time is winding up. We're in a different place and we are nearer now to the end of this than when we first believed. It's different now. So what happens after I've given God my life and I've really meant it and I start changing my life around? I start reading the word of God so that my mind can be renewed and transformed. I start coming to church. I start serving the Lord. What happens if I fall? Well, you get to repent. But see, repentance is not an apology. It's the changing of your life's direction. It's the changing of your idea and your paradigm. It's the shifting of everything. So what happens when you fall? The Bible says a righteous man falls how many times? Not 70 times, seven. So when you have to repent, it's like starting from scratch. Do y'all know that's the, it's, it's literally like starting from the very beginning. But his grace enables you to start again. Then you got to get back in the word. You got to get back in the prayer. You got to get back to realigning your life. You got to get back into fasting. You got to start seeking God again. You got to start worshiping again. You got to start cleaning yourself up again. You got to let him sanctify you again. You got to, you have to go through the whole entire thing again. 
and then hopefully you don't fall. If you do, you have an advocate. But how many times do you want to restart? It's like going back to kindergarten after you were about to get a master's degree. How many times do you want to go back to the drawing board? So he gives us grace, which is enabling power. Enabling power so that we can walk the straight and narrow. And then he'll change you. He will. He changes you. He really does. He changes the desires. He changes it. You lose the appetite for what's destroying you. You lose it. You lose it. You stop wanting to be a liar. You stop wanting to be a cheater on all your taxes. and You start wanting to walk in love and be genuine. You want to stop looking over your shoulder, trying to see who's watching you, who's about to catch what you. You stop cheating on your job falsifying documents, worrying about if they call you into a meeting, if you're going to get fired. See, when you start walking in truth, you don't have to worry about none of that. See, he'll change you around. He'll, he will really do it. But you got to let him. Lift your hands up. Father, thank you for this house.